am Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. David R. Slayton grew up in Guthrie, Oklahoma, where finding fantasy novels was pretty challenging, and finding fantasy novels with diverse characters was downright impossible. Now he lives in Denver, Colorado, and writes the books he always wanted to read. White Trash Warlock, David's first novel, was a finalist for the Colorado Book Award. In 2015, David founded Trick or Read, an annual initiative to give out books along with candy to children on Halloween, as well as uplift lesser-known authors or those from marginalized backgrounds. His latest, Dark Moon, Shallow Sea, is the perfect dark fantasy read for Halloween. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me today, Chris. You said it wasn't easy finding the kinds of books you like to read while growing up in Oklahoma. Is that what motivated you to write? Largely. I love fantasy. I love space opera and science fiction. And growing up, the first movie I ever saw was Star Wars at the Beacon Drive-In Theater back in Guthrie. And I was a little kid and just, it was this big, terrifying, amazing thing. But, you know, I also knew from a very young age that I was different. And people like me were never the hero back then. And Still, there's an epic fantasy, particularly high fantasy, which is what my next book is in. We're not there. And if we are there, we're not the hero. And usually we die or we're the villain, right? That we have a tragic backstory. And often it's to <laughs> further the hero. And it's never a heroine. Usually it's the hero's uh, story. So it's really nice to be able to put those books into the world now and see people like me get to be the good guy and get to save the day. Mm. What was it about Star Wars? Which, which characters did you feel like they get me? Oh, I really love Luke because, again, I grew up rural. I grew up, you know, in the woods outside of Guthrie in a trailer. So him growing up in the desert on a farm, kind of poor, really resonated and wanting more. You know, that first scene of Luke is always staring off the two sons and wanting to be elsewhere and do more and to be more. And that's also the last scene we have of him in The Last Jedi. That always just connected with me is that the desire to get to be something more than where you come from. They're incidental scenes, but when they have the bars on the different planets, to me, those are just so interesting because they mix it up. The people in the bar don't all look the same. They speak differently and they breathe differently and they eat differently. And it's just so fun to me to see the mashup. All these people obviously have something in common to be in this bar. Bars are crossroads. They're liminal spaces. I have one in my book next year, Rogue Community College, Mm -hmm. and it's That kind of bars from that same theme. Whenever I go somewhere to a new town, I generally have to, I'm not a big drinker. I actually drink very little. If there's a gay bar, I want to go. I might find my people. (laughs) (laughs) Just check in. What's the vibe? It's nice to always feel like there is a sort of universality to them. What was it like seeing your name on that first novel? So I got the advanced reader copy mm-hmm. and I got a box of it and it didn't feel real. I got the cover art from my cover artist before that. It didn't feel real. The moment it felt real to me was when I got the audiobook and I could listen to my words being read to me by Michael David Axtell, who does my narration for Blackstone. It was amazing. And that was the moment it felt 
like, okay, I have done this. I've achieved this thing I've wanted my entire life. And it kind of broke me a little bit, but it also was just, this, <laughs> yeah, I think you know that feeling, right? Yeah. Just that sense of, okay, I climbed that hill. Vanessa Moyen did my first one and Exy Sands did my second one. And oh my gosh, when, like when Exy did the demo, and there was my husband, we were listening to it. It was like, oh my God, I got chills and I tears and oh, it just sounds so much better than what it looks like on the page. I don't know. I'm an audiobook person. So I, Me too. I, I so bought cool. an electric lawnmower because mostly for the environmental impact, but also it's so much quieter that I can listen mm-hmm. to audiobooks while I'm out. Get a lot more books read this way. Thankfully, now NetGalley has started putting some galleys on audiobook. It's not just Audible or Chirp, but like Mm -hmm. FM just recently went international and you can buy those through your independent bookstore, which is cool. Yes. And most libraries now have an audiobook checkout option, which is really nice. My stepdaughter just discovered Libra and man, she's like, I have a queue of (laughs) so many. She's an OBGYN in between cases and stuff. She's listening. Love those audiobooks. Your characters find they have more in common than they initially believe. Is this a commentary on the real world? I think it is. I I like to think that we are all human and connected. And there are there are differences that you know we talk about, especially in America now, we talk about the political mm-hmm. divide and the political polarization. Um and th- there are differences of opinion we simply can't reconcile, right? If if you think another group of people doesn't have a right to exist or you know that they should be eradicated, I can't I can't work with that. But I often do find that we all want the same things. And that's how you get those alien bars that connect different (laughs) different kinds of people, different kinds of races and things in intergalactic space. There is a common humanity to to all of us that I think should be celebrated. We need to be having conversations with people who are unlike us. By having those conversations, we find very quickly that Those people that you think aren't like you are in their own way. I would hope that that would make it harder for people to be unkind. I don't know how we get that done. I agree with you. And I think fantasy as a genre can lend itself to that because it gives us a lens to see different kinds of people who live in different Mm -hmm. ways, but still find ways to relate to them. I think fantasy can do a beautiful job of showing us other perspectives and maybe challenge us to widen our lens a little bit. Well said. Well, I read that you studied classical civilizations. I myself was the only fourth-year Latin student the year I graduated from high school. My kids, they know my mom wasn't the homecoming queen. She was the queen of the Latin club, which wasn't really a thing, but I let them believe that. So were you one of those Latin dorks like me? Uh, Well, I'm a high school dropout, but I did go on to get three college degrees. So I like to say that I'm the world's most overeducated high school dropout now. Um, (laughs) But I did take two semesters of Latin and college, which was very cool with my history mentor. I grew up in, again, a very rural area with very narrow view of the world. But even then, just reading about what you can get from ancient civilizations from the Bible, I knew that there had been history. I knew there had been things out there and I wanted to see more of it. So not really having a way to travel, not really having a way to see the world or study firsthand, that was my first way of seeing other cultures, was ancient cultures. There's also just so much there that fascinates me. Dark Moon Shallow Sea, the mythology is using the Greek Titans as opposed to the Olympians, because I feel like the Olympians are kind of played out, you know, they, mm-hmm. they everyone writes about them. And the Titans are more 
primordial. They're more elemental and they're far less known. I think they're also much more unknowable because of that. So studying ancient civilizations gave me a way to think about how I wanted to structure a fantasy civilization without borrowing too much from the you know, the kind of tired medieval Western mm-hmm. civilization model, but looking more Mediterranean. And my family on one side, way back far, is Greek. So there was kind of a natural curiosity towards that as well. Do you remember the movie Titans? Clash of, Clash of the Titans? Clash of the Titans. Oh my, with Harry Hamlin. Oh yeah. In that um, little skirt. <laughs> I had forgotten all about that. And it had the weird animatronics like with Medusa's head. And it was like, it's like you could almost see the machine move. There's been a fun resurgence in those kinds of movies lately, like, Things that Star Wars inspired that are not Star Wars. I just read an article yesterday about, I think it's a battle from the stars. There was another kind of Star Wars like ripoff in that time that from 1980 that people are like, you know what? This is actually pretty good. I just read an article about it yesterday. I think we're looking back some, especially yeah. our generation. And yeah, it's, I do remember Clash of the Titans and Pegasus <laughs> and that. all that. You said that about Pegasus. Now it's like, it all comes back to me. I can see that horse and <laughs> the wings are going so slow. And you're thinking, okay, that horse is going down. <laughs> Because he is not flapping his wings fast enough. Oh, and the robot owl. Do you remember the robot oh, owl? Oh, yes. It reminded me of, remember the Big Ben alarm mm-hmm. clocks? That's kind of what the owl sounds like when it moves its eyes. I'm going to have to watch that movie now. I say me too. How did your writing change as you progressed from your first novel to the subsequent ones? Well, deadlines. I'm sure you can <laughs> relate. Like getting deadlines completely alters your the pace. Your first book you have, or and I have a few books that are still back catalog that we haven't sold yet. and. Those you can you can take your time and you can feel your way through. Much more of a discovery writer or a pantser if you want to be. But then you know you get a contract. Your publisher's like, yeah, we need the next one in six months. That changes your whole approach. So I become much more of a more of a plotter is one thing. My process has really changed towards plotting because I need that in order to meet deadline. I also have to be more decisive, which I think ultimately has been such a good thing. My first book that was this giant brick of a fantasy that I got a couple of full requests on it that I frankly shouldn't have and ended up being trunked because it was terrible and too big and was never going to sell. But I could spend my time and every time I had a new idea, it could go into the soup and it became this big hodgepodge of, you know, all the fantasy ideas. And now it's, you know, you have six months to write this. It'll go away. It'll come back for editing, that kind of thing. And you know, you don't have that leisurely pace anymore, which I think ultimately has been so good to focus me and get me to get my stuff together more quickly. It's overwhelming for me to think about creating an entire world that is unlike my own. I was talking to Anthony Tchaikovsky about this a couple of months back. And he said, oh, but that's the easy part. You're not tethered to anything. You just create the world and it's realistic to you. It works. What is it like for you to create a brand new world? Is it overwhelming at all? Uh, by the way, I listened to that episode and I've been sort oh. of um, listening to all your episodes. Oh, thank it's you. like when I knew I was going to be on this podcast, it's like, I'll listen to one or two. And now I'm like eight <laughs> in and hooked. So thank you. <laughs> As a kid, you know, I was a third son and then I had a younger sister. And so my parents had their hands full, which meant they were very happy that I would go off and you know, we had acres out in the woods. I would go off and make little cities in the dirt and, and play with you know either action figures or sticks and start crafting these places and things. And my grandmother, her house was at the top of the hill and every room had a different color of carpet because my grandfather <laughs> sold and installed carpet for Sears. 
So it was the 70s. So you had this mm-hmm. thick shags, the, the thick stuff, right? Carpet used to be so much. You had, y'all have no idea mm-hmm. how thick carpet used to be. No. Um, or the carpet in your kitchen. You had carpet in your kitchen too. Not the thick did. stuff. It was the low stuff, but yeah. Oh, so gross. The yellow stuff in the bathroom would be one planet and the pink stuff in the spare bedroom would be a different planet or a different land. And so my brain could start to weave stories of we're going to land over here or we're going to go explore over here. And from very early on, I was a world builder and I was a quiet kid, kind of lost in my head doing that, which again, my parents and grandparents were thrilled because I wasn't in any trouble, unlike my siblings sometimes. And so it made it really easy for me to begin crafting these places in my mind. And it's funny how sometimes some of those old, old ideas will still creep into my work. I don't think there's any pink grass anywhere in Dark Moon Shallow Sea, but there might be a little bit in Debbie Jerkins. <laughs> Dark Moon Shallow Sea. Tell us about it. So Dark Moon Shallow Sea is my first epic fantasy. It's also my first hardback. comes out from Blackstone Publishing Yay. on October 31st, 2023, which is the perfect date for this book. It's the story of Wraith. He is the last worshiper of the moon goddess. And her murder stopped the tides, darkened the night sky, but most importantly, it left the ghosts of the dead without a path to the underworld. Now he lives in a city that is like a haunted Venice. Without the tides, the canals are very narrow and hollowed out. The ghosts that rise every night and can't go anywhere are blood hungry, drawing very much on the Greek concept mm. of the shades, blood hungry shades. So if you so much as scratch yourself, when the ghosts or the grief is what they call it, when the grief is up, they'll just pull the blood out of you. But Wraith has a secret, one last gift from his goddess he can see in the dark. So it makes this city that's amazed to everyone else in the mist something he alone can navigate. And at the very beginning of the book, we start with him. He wants revenge on the sun worshippers that killed his goddess, the moon. So he sneaks into their temple to steal a box. And he thinks there's going to be gold or jewels, you know, something in it that he can hawk, get a little bit of payback. Instead, he finds a sleeping man alive named Kinos. And thinking that Kinos might be a friend, an ally, possibly the secret to bringing back the moon, and maybe a first love, Ray steals Kinos. Interesting. Is this part of a series? It's a standalone for now. It definitely opens up a world that I would love to write more in, but it, you know, depends on if people like it, depends how the sales go. It is a standalone, it is complete in one book. So if we don't get more, don't worry. I won't leave you on any cliffhangers. I'll never give you a cliffhanger or a big hook unless I know I have more in the contract. (laughs) Very kind of you. We don't like to finish those books and then say, we never found out what happened to these people. What has writing taught you about yourself? This is a surprise because writing itself is such a individual thing. You sit alone, you play with your imaginary friends, you, you spend hours staring at the wall and typing into a keyboard. I am more of a people person than I ever thought. I've always thought I was such an introvert, and I am. But I'm a connector. Going to writing conferences, like I was just at the Colorado Gold Conference for Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers. I teach often at Pikes Peak Writers down in Colorado Springs. I'm very surprised to find that I'm not just a people person, but I like connecting with people, and I like helping other people make connections. So by the end of my first conference at Pikes Peak, I was like, oh, you're into yoga. You're into yoga. You two should talk. And I will find myself doing that, introducing people to people like, oh, you all all write the same genre. Or, you know, you are both at the point where you're querying and trying to find an agent. And I didn't know that about myself until the writing world brought that out of me. 
Do you think that the writing itself, doing what it is that you were meant to do, gave you that confidence? Or do you think as you got older, you just got more confident? I think it's a matter of age. It's also just a matter of being in the writing community because that started Mm -hmm. happening long before I ever got an agent or ever sold anything. It really was feeling like, oh, these these are the people I belong with. And that's something I've missed my whole life. I didn't fit in in Oklahoma. I when I first got to Denver and I joined the gay community, I never found, ah, uh, they're not quite like me. Their priorities aren't the same. I'm the only nerd. I'm the only reader. I'm the only guy wanting to play Dungeons and Dragons on the weekend instead of go to a bar. And then it was when I finally found the writing community. I'm like, these are my people. Mm. This is this is where I belong. Amen. So what is next for you? Well, Darkman Shallows is out this year. Next year, we have Rogue Community College, which is a spinoff to the Adam Binder series. That's really fun. Uh, If you've read the Adam books, you will definitely recognize some faces and names, Uh, particularly one emo chaos monkey elf who gets to be the star of the show and is very happy about it at long last. And I'm working on a couple of things. I have something we're close to. the. I can't announce it yet because the deal's not done. Trying some new stuff as well. I'm really working on a thriller which is really fun. I recently, just this year, also published a rom-com with the Kiss app, which was really fun. It was fun to work in a new genre. It was challenging having to learn something completely different, especially because there's no magic or dragons or any of that stuff. Yeah. But I got to sneak in. The guys don't know that they're playing against each other in a video game. So I got to work a little bit of that, you know, fantasy sci-fi stuff in that way. So I might try something more along those lines. I'd like to try something that's a little more like a romantic suspense. I really want to see where this thriller concept goes. It is dark and creepy. I had my first mystery short story published in the thriller anthology with Blackstone earlier this year. Congratulations. Thank you. I'd um, really like to try a little bit more in the contemporary space, though I have a couple more epic fantasies I'd like to tell too. So I guess it just depends on where these series all go and you know, who wants more of what? So are you reading anything fun? I or listening just... to any fun audiobooks? <laughs> oh, yes. My friend Helen Corcoran's uh, second book, The Daughter of Winter and Twilight, just landed on Audible. Now, the book is out. Oh, she's in Ireland. The paperback and the ebook are available over there. We got the Audible or the audiobook mm. on release date. So while we can't read the book in the States yet, you can listen to it. And it is very good. And the narrator is excellent. So I strongly recommend Helen Corker and stuff. Do you have any advice for new writers? The number one thing I can tell you about writing and about trying to become a traditionally published author, and I think this also applies to indies as well, is persistence. There are so many skills, your craft, all these things, people skills, networking, learning how to write the best book you can, which is the most important thing but no skill will serve you as well as persistence. Just don't give up. I have friends and mentees who they get 12 career rejections and they're out. Mm. Um, They're done and you can't, don't ever give up. And you might have to stop and retool and figure out a different approach to things, but persistence is the number one skill that will serve you in this industry. I agree. Thank you, David. Thank you, Chris. To learn more, visit David rslayton.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. 
There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.